We are continuing today our sermon series called Redemption. We've been looking at several stories the last few weeks from the Old Testament, and today we're adding in the New Testament, and we're learning that redemption is really God's doing. In fact, the entirety of God's story is a story of redemption that unfolds in the lives and in the families and of the nations throughout all time. The stories of redemption in the Old Testament help us to understand the mission and the ministry of Jesus, which is to redeem you and me, to redeem the world, and indeed to redeem all creation. Jeremiah used the illustration of a potter shaping a clay vessel on a potter's wheel. We learned that when we come to God in humility, that God has the power to redeem our flaws and imperfections and to make us into something beautiful. We learn from the example of Hosea and Gomer that God has an undying love for us, that God is always faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to God. Time after time, Hosea redeemed Gomer from her life of unfaithfulness, and God will never stop redeeming and restoring relationships with his children. We saw last week how Boaz redeemed Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, redeemed them from a life of poverty and pain, and that through Boaz, who gives us a glimpse of Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, that a humble, foreign, loving woman named Ruth became the great-grandmother of King David and became a branch in the family tree of Jesus, our great redeemer. Today, we are turning to the New Testament for the first time in this series to study the story of redemption from the Gospel of Luke. Now, Jesus and his disciples had been preaching and teaching and healing all over Galilee. And one, G one day, Jesus said to the disciples, let's cross over the Sea of Galilee, which is really like a large lake, and go over to the other side. This would land them in Gentile territory, in a land called, or an area called the Decapolis, because it was an area that had 10 Greek cities kind of scattered throughout it. On the way, while they were sailing, a large storm arose on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples some of whom, remember, were really skilled at fishing. They knew that lake like the back of their hand, but they were afraid that they were going to die. That's how bad the storm was. And so they went and they woke up Jesus, who had fallen asleep in the boat, and they alerted him to the danger that they were in. Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind and the raging water, calmed them down, and demonstrated his power over creation and the natural order. The storm subsided. The disciples were astounded. Their eyes were wide, their mouths agape. And they sailed on across the lake together. Let's pick up Luke 8, 
verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And so after a wild night on the Sea of Galilee, another wild scene immediately begins to unfold before Jesus and the disciples. Jesus no more than gets out of the boat and comes ashore when a demon-possessed man runs up to him. You can only imagine what a sight this man must have been. He certainly wasn't in his right mind. He is a man possessed. I imagine his hair was wild, disheveled, dirty, matted together. He hadn't shaved in ages. Perhaps his eyes were wild and as big as saucers. We're told he wasn't even wearing any clothes. He had either been kicked out of town by people who didn't know what to do with him anymore. Or maybe he had chosen to live alone, to be off by himself where no one would bother him. He didn't have a home, so he lived in the graveyard, among the tombs, among the dead. Even chains on his hands and his feet weren't strong enough to contain this man possessed by demons. Just try to imagine how isolated this man is. I mean, the people in his own town try to avoid him at all costs. He is shunned. He is not welcome around other people. He is enslaved by the demons that possess him. He is no longer to... He no longer has the freedom to be fully human, you know, to love the people that are closest to him, to live in relationship with his family and his friends. He no longer has the freedom to even work for a living, to use the talents and gifts and skills that God has given him. It's heartbreaking. And yet, as soon as he sees Jesus step out of the boat and come ashore, the demon-possessed man comes running right for him. Now, it isn't the man himself who at first speaks to Jesus. It's the demons who are doing the talking. They recognize exactly who Jesus is. He is the one and only son of the true and living God. This man ran. He fell down in front of Jesus and he howled, What business do you have messing with me? You're Jesus, son of the high God. Don't give me a hard time. This man said this because Jesus had started to order the unclean spirit out of him already. Jesus knows 
exactly what he's dealing with here with this man. Everyone who lived in the town may have steered clear of this man, but not Jesus. Jesus sees a man who needs help, and Jesus knows just what help he needs. And this is part of the very mission of Jesus Christ. Anita prayed this as part of her prayer, Luke 4, 18 to 19, where Jesus tells us exactly what his mission on earth is by quoting from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The demon-possessed man is in need of redemption. So Jesus speaks. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Oh yeah, the demons recognized Jesus and his authority right away. They knew that they were powerless in the presence of Jesus, so they begged Jesus to spare them from the abyss. Now, the abyss, which is also mentioned in the book of Revelation, is the place where Satan and his demons are confined. And they do not want to be confined there. This man's life is being robbed from him by demons who are possessing him. Now, I know in our modern world, it's common to hear a couple of different things about demons and evil spirits. Either people say they are a myth, that whatever, whenever the Bible mentions a demon causing something like it did in this passage from Luke 8, that it's really just because ancient people didn't really understand about mental illness or even, in many cases, physical illness. And the other extreme is that people get really, really, really hung up on demons and spirits and the occult, and they see them everywhere. They even sometimes try and dabble in the occult, which is very dangerous. You don't ever want to do that. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis says this, and I quote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. You see, the Bible is very clear that there is a battle that is raging between good and evil. Jesus himself acknowledges the existence of demons, and I'm quite certain 
that the creator of the universe understood the difference between a demon and mental illness when he saw it. I mean, if this man had just had mental illness, Jesus could have just said to the man, hey, you have a mental illness, now be cured, and he would have been cured. But that's not what Jesus did. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, my friends, we have to be prepared for battle. We have to put on the full armor of God so that when evil comes, we'll be able to stand against it, to stand our ground. And God gives us all kinds of spiritual armor to combat the forces of evil in the world. He especially gives us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we are also instructed to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We had two other examples of Jesus casting out spirits in our Bible reading plan from this week alone, where Jesus redeemed people from spirits that had affected them. You remember in Luke 13, we read about a woman who had a spirit that had kept her bent over and crippled for 18 years. And in Mark 9, we read about the boy who had a spirit that kept him mute and that often threw him into convulsions. And in both cases, Jesus cast out the spirit and cured these beloved children of God. But back to Luke 8, Jesus asks the man his name, and the answer he gives is legion. That seems like a peculiar name, isn't it? I don't know, I've read lots of baby names in baby books, and legion isn't one that I've ever seen that's near the top of the list. It isn't now, it wasn't then either. No, a legion was the largest unit in a Roman army. A legion had anywhere from between 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers in it. This man was possessed by not one, but many demons. And the de demons are begging Jesus not to destroy them. They know that they are under Jesus' authority, and they have to obey whatever he says. Interestingly enough, Jesus sees a herd of pigs nearby, and the demons see it too. They beg Jesus to send them into the pigs when Jesus commands them to come out of the man. I mean, we know that we are in Gentile territory here. No self-respecting Jewish community would have a herd of pigs anywhere near it. Pigs aren't kosher. They are forbidden in the Old Testament for God's people. So you might ask why Jesus allowed them to go into the pigs. Why didn't he just destroy the demons or, or send them down to the abyss where they would be confined? Well, we know that at the end of time, Jesus' victory over evil, over sin, over even death will be complete and it will be total. All evil will be destroyed. But in this time, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, parts of this battle are still being played out. 
So Jesus gave permission to go into the pigs. The demons entered into the pigs, and then the pigs rushed down the steep hill right into the lake, and they were drowned. Verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home. And tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now you might think it sounds weird that the demons chose to destroy their newfound swine hosts so quickly. But think about it, really. Demons don't build up, do they? Demons tear down. Remember, it is Jesus who comes to, to give life and give it to his fullest. Satan is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, the pig herders watched the demons get cast off into the herd of pigs. They saw them run off in a stampede to their deaths. So the men tending the pigs ran off to tell everyone in the town what had happened. We might have expected the townspeople to come out and be thrilled that Jesus had healed this man who had been possessed, who was crazy, who had been out of his mind for so many years. But we would have expected wrong. They did come out to see what happened. They did see the man who was now sitting calmly, dressed in clothes and in his right mind. This man had been freed from the demon's powers, but all the people could think about was their economic loss. You see, those pigs were more valuable to them than was the human life of their own neighbor. It's so easy to make money an idol, isn't it? The townspeople asked Jesus to leave their town. It reminds me of the silversmith in Ephesus. You remember the one who made the silver statues of the goddess Artemis? Paul came along preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in Ephesus. And all that silversmith could think about was his idol business. He was afraid that he would lose business, that... He would face economic ruin, so he whipped up a crowd against Paul. He didn't want to risk losing money if too many people came to faith in Jesus Christ and began worshiping the one true God until, instead of the false goddess Artemis because of Paul's teaching. And so he stirred up a whole crowd of townspeople, and he had Paul run out of town. 
You remember in our story from this week, Jesus cast out that evil spirit from the crippled woman, and his opponents weren't happy. They were angry that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. You won't always have happy people when other people are set free by the power of Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are Christians working to free enslaved men, women, and children from the evils of modern-day slavery in our world today? It is dangerous work. It's dangerous because there is evil in the hearts of and fear of economic loss in the hearts of the one who are profiting off the backs of this terrible modern-day slave trade. So the crowd asked Jesus to leave. And so he got in a boat and he left. But before he did, the man who'd had his demons cast out begged to go with Jesus. I totally get it, don't you? What a gift Jesus had given to this man. Jesus had redeemed his life. He'd given his life back to him. This man must have wanted to stay around Jesus forever. He loved Jesus for what he had done for him. But Jesus gave him a mission. He told him to go home and tell everyone in town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus makes the man an evangelist. Go tell the story of the difference I've made in your life. You see, when Jesus redeemed this man, he didn't just get rid of the evil spirits, but he gave him a powerful testimony to witness to the lost people in his village. And apparently this man did exactly that. The gospel writer Mark also writes about this event in his gospel. In Mark 5, we hear the same story as we do in Luke 8, but it ends this way. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. In the next two chapters in Mark, Jesus travels outside of this Gentile area back with his own people, the Jews. But at the end of chapter 7, he decides to cross the Sea of Galilee again, and he enters the region of the Decapolis. Only this time, it's not just one man who shows up. An entire crowd shows up. A really big crowd shows up. Mark 8 tells us that 4,000 men plus women and children showed up to hear Jesus preach and teach and heal. And again, Jesus fed them after a long day because they had nothing to eat. You see, because the man who'd been redeemed by Jesus from his demons told other people about the difference Jesus made in his life, the whole region of the Decapolis was changed. Thousands of people came to faith in Christ. You might even say that revival broke out. It's amazing what Jesus can do. He met a man whose family and neighbors had given up on him, a man who had given up on himself, who'd been possessed by a legion of demons, and Jesus brought healing and wholeness to him. And as a result, an entire region became receptive to the gospel, and more than that, 
they became proclaimers of the gospel themselves. Out of the tight grasp of Satan and into the warm embrace of God, a man was transformed. And in his story, we find a message. We have all encountered Jesus Christ and been changed by our experience with him. Perhaps Jesus cast out some kind of demon that possessed you, whether it was addiction or greed or jealousy or lust. Perhaps Jesus healed you of depression or obsession or some other emotional or mental disorder. Maybe Jesus gave you confidence or courage or healthy self-esteem that allowed you to accomplish God's purposes for your life. Whatever it was that happened, since you have known Jesus, your life has been different. And now Jesus calls you to share that story with other people, to tell others what Jesus has done for you. That's your testimony. That's what evangelism is all about. Evangelism is simply one person telling another person how Jesus has changed their life. That's part of what the ministry of Celebrate Recovery is all about. You know that since last fall, we've offered Celebrate Recovery every Thursday night over at our Salem campus. It's a program that centers on Jesus Christ, and it helps people with all types of problems and addictions. Every single one of us has hurts and habits and hang-ups from which we need to find release to live into the fullness of the abundant life that Jesus offers to us. There are some recovery programs that only deal with one thing, like alcohol or drugs or just one single problem, but CR deals with all types of problems and issues. And one of the things that folks in CR do is they celebrate their experiences together. They talk and share about their victories, about their hope with each other. It's one person telling another person how Jesus changed their life. And anyone can join CR at any time. Just show up whenever you're ready. At our campus, at the Salem campus, the evening starts with dinner. And then people move into a large group time of worship and sharing, and then a small group time. And there's even a ministry called Celebration Place for kids that are in kindergarten through sixth grade. You should check it out. You can get more information about Celebrate Recovery by typing Celebrate Recovery into the search box on the Anderson Hills webpage. Or maybe you've been struggling with some strongholds in your life. Our Break Free class is specifically designed to help us learn about various strongholds that can take root in our life and, more importantly, how to get rid of them so that we can find freedom. Now, a stronghold is a lie from the enemy that we have come to believe or agreed with instead of agreeing or believing in God's truth. A stronghold is a subject or an attitude that has become, over time, ingrained in us and gets repeated over and over again. There are lots of kinds of strongholds, strongholds of rejection, of fear, 
of unloving, of religion, of the occult, of bitterness and envy, of accusation, guilt, and shame. We have seen today that Jesus dealt with demons, evil spirits, and strongholds. It was a part of his ministry. And he also gave the power and authority to cast out demons to his disciples, which means that he has given that power and authority to us as well. We are called to to continue the fight. And if we are to do that, we need to learn how to exercise Christ's delegated authority. We've added another break-free workshop beginning this spring in April on Monday evening the 17th at 6.30. That will be here at the Anderson campus. There's more information about it in your weekly today. I don't know what chain is holding you today. I don't know what bondage you may feel your life is under. I don't know what brokenness there is in your life. But I do know the one who casts out demons, who breaks every stronghold, who breaks every chain and redeems us and sets us free. He is the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. The same one can bring healing to you, can set you free. And all we need do like the man in Luke 8, is call upon the name of Jesus. Call out his name. Jesus. 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 And our Redeemer will come and set us free. Let us pray. Holy Lord Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, We thank you, Jesus, for the ministry of redemption. We thank you that in you, every power on earth and under the earth must give way to your authority. There is nothing that is too hard for you to do. You break the power of bondage. You cast out demons. You heal the sick and restore sight. And whether we're hurting in body, mind, or soul, All healing comes from you. We give you thanks and praise for the gifts and ministry of healing in our world, including the gifts of medicine and and mental health care. Lord, we just come to you and ask you to set us free from whatever might be binding us. Thank you for the ministries at Anderson Hills, God, that partner with you, that help us to be agents of your healing power in our work. Today, God, We offer to you whatever it is that might hold us back, that might keep us in chains. We just ask you to break those chains and let them fall to the ground so that we can live in the freedom which you offer. And then we ask you, Lord, that you would make us evangelists. Help us tell the story of how you've made a difference in our life, how you've set us free, how you've given us hope and a future so that others would come to know you. And you'd set them free, and you'd redeem the whole of your creation. Lord Jesus, we offer our lives to you. Come and redeem us. Set us free so that we can glorify your name today, tomorrow, 
and throughout all eternity. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.